Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Thank you for joining us. You are listening to a ministry of Crossview Church with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle. I have been trying to finish this series for two weeks now. And I'm going to finish it today. This series, we've been going all the way through January. It's called How to Change Your World in 52 Days, the story of Nehemiah. Um, And so we've been kind of learning about this man, this very ordinary man named Nehemiah, and what extraordinary things he did. Uh, This particular context of this book is set around 400 years before Christ. Uh, So 400 years before Christ. And What is the storyline is this. Here's the context. Uh, About uh, uh, several hundred years before this is written, the Babylonians came in and took over all of the known world, including Jerusalem. And when they did, they knocked down the walls, the fortified city. They took captive uh, people like Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all these stories you know about. They took these people, and they, they put them in their cities around their country, and they began to train them the ways of the Babylonians. Well, fast forward. The Babylonians are taken over by the Medes and Persians, and they begin to do the same thing. However, the Medes and Persians were just a little bit more compassionate to the Israelites and kind of allowed them to start going back to their hometown of Jerusalem. And so as what happened in this story is uh, there are remnants of people coming back to Jerusalem and starting to find their city, but their city is in disarray. It's completely, completely destroyed. Nothing is in place. Uh, all the, the, the walls and the gates are burnt to nothing. The, the stones are, are burnt to rubble and they're sitting on their side. They're just totally decimated. Okay. Now, <clears throat> There's a man named Nehemiah. Who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was in the palace with the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, and he is serving as a simple cupbearer. He had no real value as a person, as a human. In fact, he was so disposable in his humanity that he was used as a taste sampler for the wine and the beverages of the king, if someone was going to poison him, the, the king, he, this guy, Nehemiah, had to try it first. If he survived, the king was free to eat. Obviously, if he didn't, uh, they would throw him out, get a new cupbearer, and they would do something different in that way. So Nehemiah really didn't have a whole lot of value, a whole lot of worth in his own personal life, okay? And this is very important because my challenge to you the very first week was, So many times we feel like we don't bring much to the table. So many times we feel like we can't do much in this world. We don't feel like we can be a world changer. We don't feel like we can change anybody's life. We don't feel like we have much impact or much importance. And here's a man known as Nehemiah that probably felt exactly like all of us have felt in our lives. Pretty disposable. Pretty 
un, uh, non-contributing to the world. But God does something in the story of the ordinary man named Nehemiah that I believe every one of us can relate to. That in our ordinariness, in the place that we feel so ordinary, God can draw all of us something extraordinary to make big change in other people's worlds. And so what happens is, I'm giving the big story here because it's been a few weeks, just recapping, okay? Nehemiah is serving as a cupbearer. His brother comes in from a thousand miles away. He travels from Jerusalem, and he comes in and he sees Nehemiah, and he says, Nehemiah, I have some bad news for you. The city of our forefathers, Jerusalem, is completely destroyed. Walls are broke down. Gates are burned. People are living in the rubble, unsafe, insecure, totally exposed to the enemies. Now, Nehemiah could have done what a lot of us do when we find difficult situations in other people's lives. Whenever it's difficult for them, what do we do? Many times we try to ignore it. We try to curb, skip past, skip past it and don't try to engage in it. Nehemiah could have very easily have said, that's a thousand miles away. I've never been to that town. I don't even know those people. So why should I even care? That could have been Nehemiah's response. But it wasn't Nehemiah's response, no. Nehemiah, through the power of the God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, started to, God started to stir something inside of him. And our first week, I told you this, ordinary people, when they hear about something that is injustice, something that is wrong, something that is not right in the eyes of God, there's a responsibility that we have, ordinary Christ-loving uh, people should do. And there are three things I told you. I said, he sat down, and first thing, he sat down, and he just cried. He just cried. I'm talking ugly, scrunchier face, bawling cry. He cried for the hurt of the people. The second thing he did, he fasted and he prayed. He asked God, God, what is it I can do? Because though I'm moved with tears, with compassion for these people, what do you want me to do about it? He sat down and cried. He prayed and he fasted. And the third thing he did, he stood up and he said, okay, you give me an opportunity, I will do what you've called me to do. Remember, ordinary cupbearer. Not a whole lot to attract us to him. Not a whole lot to draw attention to him. In fact, the king probably never really noticed Nehemiah all that much until one day. One day, Nehemiah walks into the palace. And the king notices Nehemiah is not his upbeat self. Something's heavy on Nehemiah. And immediately, ne uh, the, the king says, hey, Nehemiah, what's going on? What's wrong with you? Why are you so heavy? Now, again, the king of all the known world, a king that really does not take out time in his life to even be concerned for any of his servants whatsoever, God did something because of Nehemiah's crying out and Nehemiah's praying and fasting. God stirred this king's heart. We don't know where this king was with God. In fact, he probably was not with God. But God had a way of stirring the king's heart. And all of a sudden, he's like, Nehemiah, what's going on? Nehemiah says that he, he did a quick flare prayer. God, help me. Say the right thing. And here's what he said. He said, King, how can I be happy? How can I be joyful when my people 
of my forefathers are sitting unsafe and in ruin and without protective walls around them, I cannot rejoice. How amazing that a man that had everything he could ever want, he was, in the, he was a servant in the palace of the king, and a thousand miles away, he was moved with compassion. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that the king said, what can I do for you? See, to be a, to be a world changer, God will give us favor with people that we never thought we'd have favor for, favor with. When we're in the will of God, when we're doing what God's called us to do, God will open doors like you've never seen before. Because you're obedient, because your willingness to serve and do what God's called you to do, he'll give you favor like you have never seen before. Why? Because when we pray and when we seek God and when we say, I'm going to do what you want me to do, he always makes the way. He made the way. King says, what can I do for you, Nehemiah? And the second week we learned, Nehemiah already had a plan ready to go. Like before the king asked, he already knew what he was going to ask for. And here's what he said. He said, here's what I need. I need papers to have safe travel from here to there. So will you get those for me? And secondly, king, can I basically, and I, he didn't say this, but this is what he was saying. Can I take trees from your forest and build some gates? Can you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just basically, I'm going to take from you, king, and I'm going to build for these people a thousand miles away. Now, these are unheard of requests from a cupbearer, from a servant in the palace. And yet the king says, okay, let's do that. Because when ordinary people step into the place that God has called them to be and be used the way God has called you to be used, it may be at your workplace. You may not know how you're going to get favor with the boss about a certain thing that you feel compassionate or you feel passionate about. And yet, you go and God just begins to open up the doors. He just begins to provide a way like you've never even seen before. Why? Because when we stand up and act, ordinary people do extraordinary things. And so he lays out a plan. Let's move forward. Chapter 4. I'm going through the whole chapter. Going through the whole book today. And then we're going to close it out. Chapter 4. He's there. He's building the walls. The walls are doing great. The walls are going up. And people around the community, around the city, they're like, this is great. We're building walls. Yeah, let's build some more walls. They're wall builders, you know? Amazing. Until, until the enemies find out what they're doing. The enemies from the surrounding towns begin to find out that they're building the walls, and they're beginning to set up a fortified city. And all of a sudden, Sanballat and Tobiah, two rulers, they begin to mock the people building the walls. In fact, they just not, they don't even mock them. They make fun of them. They say, these guys are not wall builders. They can't build anything. Seriously, a fox will go up on top of these walls and they'll just fall down and crumble. And so here's Nehemiah and his people hear all these discouraging words and they begin to become disheartened, the builders. They get disheartened. They get discouraged. They start to look around. They go, this is really a big feat to build these walls. How in the world are we ever going to do this? And they become discouraged, and they become beaten down, and they become questioning what God is calling them to do. It says that Nehemiah stood up. He looked around. He says to the people, he says these words. He says, listen to me today. These walls in which you build, they're not building for you. Don't build them for you. No, you build them for your wives and for your children, and for your children's children. You build them for the generations to come. Do not be dismayed and do not be discouraged. Take heart for what you do now 
will change the generations to come. Oh, man, I got chills on that one. Because some of you here today, some of you here today, the decisions that you are making today are going to change the lives of the generations to come. Fathers and mothers, decisions you make today will affect the lives of the ones to come. I said this growing up all the time as, as a young, young father, as a young man. I said this all the time. I am not doing or I'm not making decisions I'm making today for today. I am making decisions I make today for tomorrow and for the next day. Because it's bigger. It's bigger than just the decisions we make today. Our decisions we make today have lasting effects in our world. So Nehemiah encourages the people, and all of a sudden they start building again. They start building the wall again. So let's pick up today. Chapter 6. Turn with me in chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to look there, and uh, he's going to begin to see this unfold. Today is going to be kind of like a Jerry Springer special. You're going to see more characters come into the play, and they're going to be doing more stupid things. And you're going to see like on Jerry Springer, you know, where the, where the wife comes out and finds out the husband's been cheating on her with the, with the neighbor's friend. That kind of beat down. That's kind of what you're going to see happen today. A little bit of the Jerry Springer is going to take place. But we're going to see how God prevails. Here's what it says. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Read it with me. Follow along with me today. The word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, and Gisham, the Arab. So we got another guy entered in the scene. And the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, all the walls been rebuilt except for the gates to be put on the hinges. So here is Nehemiah. Everything is going along. He has got the walls built in less than 52 days. He's got to put the gates in. And now the word spreading that they're successfully accomplishing the task. See, understand this. The closer you get to doing what God wants you to do, the more the enemy will try to stop you. The more you continue to fight for what is right and fight for what is pure and fight for what is holy, the more the enemy will fight you. Can anybody give me an amen or that's right or anything? Anybody out there with me today? Come on. The greater the, greater the opposition Many times, the greater the spiritual opposition, it means that the enemy is fearful of greater the purpose and greater the change. Because the enemy wants to see us defeated. The enemy wants to see us discouraged. The enemy wants to stop us from doing extraordinary things, whatever that may be. So let's say, for example, you've been coming across you for a while, and this women's Bible study comes up, and you're like, I'm going to go to that Bible study. I'm going to get deep in God's word. I'm going to grow. I'm looking forward to it. Man, it's going to be so great. And the first night of the Bible study, your kids, your kid gets just start vomiting everywhere. And all of a sudden, you're discouraged. And you say, well, I can't really go. Thankfully, don't bring your kid vomiting. We appreciate that. But also, it'll also come to a place where you'll be like, well, I best, I must miss the first one. So I might as well not go to another one. Or here's one. You pray, God. Make me a better father. Make me a better mother. Let me love and be patient with my kids. Let me not fly off the handle with them and every little thing. And 
God, just let me, let me speak sweetly and tenderly to them and build them up and encourage them. And you pray that prayer and you mean it. I mean, you mean it. That's the prayer of your heart. And then the little brats wake up in the morning. And the first thing out of their mouth, you want to beat them down, right? Like, just what is wrong with you? You are possessed, you know? I mean, this is, this is part of it. Just when we get ready to try to do something great, something major pushes back at us. Debt-free. I want to get out of debt. I'm going to cut up my credit cards. I'm going to stop shopping. I'm going to get off Amazon Prime because the two-day shipping is not worth the debt I'm going into. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start cutting back. I'm going to start saving money. I'm going to invest in my future, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, your motor blows up in your car, and you think, oh, no, I've tried, but I failed. Some of you today are going to fail at Valentine's Day. That's right. Gentlemen, I hope you did not forget what today is. And I hope you don't ever say this. Well, my wife's pretty low maintenance. I don't need to do much for her. That's such a lie. Such a lie. It's like the, the, the wife woke up one morning a couple days before Valentine's Day, and she goes, oh, I had an amazing dream last night. I dreamed that you bought me a brand new diamond necklace for Valentine's Day. And the, father, and the husband said, well, you'll have to wait and see. Next day, she woke up again. And she goes, oh, my dreams got better. I dreamt that you bought me a big fancy diamond ring to go along with my necklace. And the husband said, well, Valentine's Day is tomorrow. You'll have to wait and see. She wakes up on Valentine's Day. She goes, it got better. You got me a new car to go along with my diamond ring and my diamond necklace. This is going to be the best Valentine's Day ever. And he says, well, you'll have to wait till tonight. All of a sudden, he brings in this little package, and she's so excited, and she begins to open it up. And as she opens up, she opens up the box, and she looks inside, and there's a book that says how to interpret your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> You find the closer you get to doing what God's called you to do, the enemy will fight against you. And here's two ways I want to give you today, two ways the enemy will fight you. The two ways the enemies will try to fight you and beat you down. The first one, your enemy will try to distract you. Your enemy will try to distract you. He'll try to get you to get off the vision that God's called you. Verse 2, here's what Sambalit uh, said. He sent me a message. Come, let us meet together. In one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Okay, first off, if you ever get beckoned to go to a place called Ono, don't go. Oh no, don't go. Don't go there. But here's Sambalat and the Arab, Geshem the Arab, saying, hey, come. You're doing a great job. Come on down and let's have a meeting together. Take a break. You've done a great job. Relax. And come and join me, and let's just kind of talk this thing out. See, when you start moving forward and doing great things for God, the enemy will try to push against you and distract you even that much more. Understand, little distractions lead to big distractions. Little distractions that cause us to compromise and cause us to get our focus off of what God wants will lead to big distractions. Here's how it works. 
you sit down, you're like, I am going to do something powerful for God. I'm going I'm to start... I'm going to start helping out homeless people with our cold that we have going on. I'm going to get a plan together about what I can do to help homeless people uh, through this season that we're going through. So you sit down at the computer, and you start just pegging out, okay, this, this is a great idea, this is a great idea. You start pegging, and then all of a sudden, beep, Facebook pops up at the bottom, and it's got a message for you, or it's got a new story in your news feed, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, let me check it out, boom. And all of a sudden, four and a half hours later, you're still on Facebook. Little distractions lead to big distractions and get us off target. Shooting a gun, when, when you go and you shoot gun, you have to zero in the sight. Why? Because the trajectory of the bullet that comes out, now if I can shoot from here to here, I can be accurate. But the further I go, if my alignment is off, the further I will veer from the target. Just a little bit, just a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further, and all of a sudden I miss the target altogether. Dating. You say, you know what? I am worthy of a man that treats me with honor and respect. I'm worthy to be, to be spoken to in a good way. Um, I'm to be treated right. I'm to be treated like a prince, a princess that I am. And I will not compromise until that young man comes along that honors me the way that I deserve to be honored. And then you get the biggest, jerkiest guy in the world give you a little bit of attention. And you're like, he's breathing. He's mine. Well, yeah, he's not that good. Yeah, he, kinda, he talks to me bad. But you know what? Uh, maybe I did something stupid. So I deserved it. Little distractions take us further from God's plan. Little distractions will always make us miss the target, the end game. So what did Nehemiah do? Very simple. Here's Nehemiah's response. He says, yeah, I'm not coming down. I'm not going. I'm not, I'm not going to Ono. I'm not going to be a part of that. I have no time in my day to do it. Here's, here's what it says in verse 3. It says, I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on to great a project, and I cannot come down. Why should I stop the work that I'm doing here to come down and hang with the likes of you? Now, he didn't say likes of you. That's what I say. Because these guys were evil. These guys were trying to destroy him. They were trying to stop the work of God. And he was smarter than them. He was wiser than them. And he said, oh, no, I'm not going to go because I know you're trying to try to destroy me and stop the work that God has done here. Here at Crossview, we don't do everything really well at all. I'm not going to tell you we do. There's a lot of stuff that we do well. But we don't do everything well. But the things that we do well as a church, we want to focus our intention on to do well and continually get better and better at it. Here's one we do well. Here's, how, here's one where we do well in. As a church, we do very well with money. We believe in living lean and giving generously. We believe that God is the ultimate provider. We are the stewards of what he has blessed us with. And so we handle the church's money 
like it's our money. If you know anything about me, that's called frugality. I don't spend it, and I do a lot of research before I do, and I better get the best daggum deal I can find, man, because this is God's money. And the board, uh, the board here at the church, they know all about we believe in sowing seeds into missions around the world. We believe in living generously, throw, not throwing, but funneling money to the people who are doing the work around the world. We do money well. You know what else we do well here? We do very well student ministry, kids ministry, and youth ministry. We have amazing teachers, amazing teachers. Can you just say yes, we got amazing teachers? Some of you are in here, and you are amazing, and many of those are now downstairs teaching your kids. We have amazing teachers that give of their time, that give of their energies, and every Sunday they're here pouring in to the kids. My kids, my kids, Tyler and Lily, they are who they are because of the amazing children's ministry and youth ministry that have been here at Crossview. And many of you who have kids that have come to that know what I'm talking about. We do youth ministry well. Another thing we do is we do life well together. We enjoy doing life together. Even in our stupidity, even in our things that we don't do right, we enjoy doing life together because that is who we are. People say sometimes, you know what you need to do, Pastor Kevin, you need to build a gym. And we need to do gym ministry. And here's what I say to them. That's not my ministry. That's not where I want to put or what I want to invest. If you feel so inclined to do that, I bet the YMCA has a space for you to do that ministry at. Or they'll say things like this, and they'll come up and they'll say, you know what we need, Pastor Kevin? We need a school here at the church. We need to have an elementary school for the church. Hey, that's great. That's not where we're at right now. I'm not saying it never will be, but there's a good Christian school here in town that I will send you to, and you can support them. Why? They're doing it well. You see what I'm saying? Don't get distracted from what you're doing well. Some of you right now, it's raising your kids. That's your primary goal in life. Raise your kids and raise them in the fear and the love of God. Draw a line in the sand and say, this is the way you will behave. This is how you will walk the line. And you do not compromise it. You pray with your kids. When they're acting like demons, you cast the spirit of demon out of them. My grandmother did it. My grandma was a tongue-talking, Pentecostal, prayer warrior, man. There were times I was at her house, she was speaking in tongues in the other room, and I know she was casting the devil out of me because I was not a good kid. You build them up. You love on them, and you admonish them in Christ. You don't beat them whenever they do things wrong. You point them to Christ. You say, hey, God, I believe Jesus knows you can do better. College students. I know college students that are serving Teenagers here at, here at Crossview are serving in the kids' ministry here at Crossview. Spring break rolls around. Spring break, the party week. Spring break, take a break from your vacation and go to Florida, go down south and let's party it away. And I have students, college students, that say, nope, not coming down. Oh, no, I won't go because that's not for me. What's valuable for me is investing in the lives of teenagers. Oh, no. Not gonna go. I'm not coming down. I'm not getting distracted from what God has called me to do. So the first thing is, 
The enemy is going to try to distract you. And your response is, oh, no, I'm not coming down. I'm not going to go. The second thought I have for you is this. Your enemy will try to discredit you. Your enemy will try to discredit you. He'll try to, not only will he try to distract you and say, hey, over here, come over here. He'll try to then, if he can't get you to be distracted, he'll try to ruin your reputation. He'll try to ruin who you are as a person of God. And here's how he'll do it, by spreading rumors, by talking and spreading things and lies about you. Here's what happened in verse 5. Verse 5, it says, The fifth time, Samuel sent his aid to me with the same message, to come down and to go to this place. And this is what Samuel starts to lie about. He starts spreading rumors. He says, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true that you, Nehemiah, you and the Jews are plotting a revolt, and therefore you're building a wall. And moreover, it says these reports say that you are about to become their king, Nehemiah. Now, if this report gets back to King Artaxerxes who sent you here, you're going to be in trouble. So you better come meet with us because this is what people are saying, and you better stop. Lies. Rumors. You guys know that. Nehemiah wasn't planning to set up a kingdom. Nehemiah wasn't intending to overthrow King Artaxerxes. In fact, Nehemiah was grateful that King gave him the privilege and the power that he did. But these people were so evil and were so vindictive that they started spreading lies and rumors about Nehemiah because he would not give them the time of day. See, the more you stand against culture, the more you as college students and young people don't do what all your friends are doing, they'll spread rumors about you, they'll talk about you, and they'll badmouth you and try to defame you because it's the only way they can have power over you. And that's exactly what's happening right here in these passages. Nehemiah says, I'm not going to go because I'm not going to give you the time of day. And they're like, oh, you're not going to give us time of day? Fine, we'll make up stuff to get your attention. How did Nehemiah, Nehemiah's response to this was so great. You know what he did? He didn't, he didn't tweet. He didn't send out a Facebook message. He didn't, he didn't go down. He stayed, you know what he did? He said, that's a lie, and he got back to work. <laughs> he, he wasn't even faced by it. He's just like, yeah, that's not even true. I'm going to get back to work. I'm not even going to be distracted by you. not going to let you discredit me. I'm going to keep working. And then the second, the second discredit comes in. He discredits, he'll discredit you by tempting you to compromise. In verse 10, he tries to get him to compromise. He tries to get him to settle things down. He says this, let us meet in the house of God. Inside the temple, they're saying. Let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you, Nehemiah. So not only are they trying to spread rumors, now they're saying people are going to kill you if you don't meet with us. Why? Because the closer you get to doing the great things of God, the more the enemy will fight against you. Nehemiah's response, I'm not coming down, and I'm not going to go for it. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to give you any mind. I know who I am. So here's how this plays out in our life. You feel convictions about standing where you need to stand. And you don't compromise. 
no matter what is said, no matter what comes your way, you stand and you say, this is what God has called me to do. Now, let me tell you something. That doesn't mean that the other people are not called to do something else. That's not the point. The point is you do what you need to do to stand in the face of adversity because when the enemy attacks, and he will, he will always try to get you to compromise where you're at. Why build a wall? Why would God use this man, Nehemiah, to build a wall when Nehemiah had nothing to gain in the end? All he had to gain was heartache and ridicule and criticism and rumors, and he, his reputation was on the line. He could have stayed in his palace and done nothing. Why did God call Nehemiah to do something this impossible or seemingly impossible? Because here's why. Sometimes in our life, God has to get us out of our selfishness to move us to a place of selflessness so that the world can see a real change and hearts can really find their way to Christ. Nehemiah could have been selfish in the temple, but instead he became selfless and went to a city a thousand miles away. Nehemiah could have said, I got it pretty comfy here. Why do I care? But God stirred his heart, and he said, I cannot stay because my place is there building the walls. Did it benefit Nehemiah? No. Can I say that again? Did it benefit Nehemiah? No. Nothing in the story of Nehemiah made sense to Nehemiah. But God knew that he could trust Nehemiah to do a work that only Nehemiah. Nehemiah had favor with the king. Nehemiah had favor to get the papers. Nehemiah had opened to the forest to build. Nehemiah had a determination inside his heart that no matter what, he was not going to give up. It gained nothing for Nehemiah. Now, this reminds me of another story. There was a story of a man who came story that of a, a servant who came for God's soul of the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus Christ himself, just like Nehemiah, could say, why should I go? He lived a sinless life, a perfect life. Why should I go? He walked among the people. He lived in a way that was glorifying to God. And I'm sure the time that he could, could have said any time, why should I go? He was in heaven. He was in a perfect place. Why should I go? God said, the reason why you should go is because if you do not go, I can never have my children in heaven with me. And Jesus said, I will go. I will go and I will allow my life to be sacrificed so that others may know who God is. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus loved us so much that he came willingly to die upon the cross. Bow your heads with me today. Father God, help us today to be able to see this word ring true in our own personal lives. God, stir us to go, to do something greater than we ever could imagine. God, stir us to be able to go to places like we've never thought before because you've called us to go. But yet for some of us, God, we're comfortable. Some of us, we're content where we're at. 
God, I pray that you would somehow, some way, stir our hearts to build something greater in this world that will outlast us, that will, that will sustain us beyond what we know here and now. So, Father God, I pray in the next few moments of time that you would do that. You would stir us to do greater works, that we would see that the decisions we make today have everlasting effect in the world around us. Last verses I want to read to you, verse 15 and 16 in Nehemiah. Here's what it says. So the wall was completed the 25th day, 52 days after it had started. When all our enemies heard about this and all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done by the help of God. Not by the help of themselves, but by the hand and the help of God. And when you stand true to who you are, and when you stand countercultural, and when you take a stand and you don't compromise, and you don't give up, and you say, this is where I stand, God will give you favor every time. I was telling a story in, 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 uh, to uh, Pastor Chris just yesterday, and a story that years ago had happened in my own personal life. Um, I worked as a, uh, a mover. Some of you have heard the stories of me being a mover. I was a mover for a company, moved homes and businesses and things like that. This was right after high school, just before I uh, was married and went to college. And I remember going to this moving company. It was a very hard place to work. They were very hard people. There were people who hated Christians, uh, very anti-Christian culture that was in place. And <clears throat> I remember uh, walking in the first day, and them first thing they wanted to know is like, you know, who are you and what are you, what's your background and like that. And so I kind of told them, but I never told them I was a Christian. Um, I never really spoke out that much. I always just said, you know what? I'm just going to work hard, keep my head down, and just serve these guys any way I can. Okay. As time went on, I got more and more favor with the individuals, and I, I got some relationships with some of the guys that were very hard and very mean-spirited. And <clears throat> I remember one day, I got assigned to go on a long-distance move with one of the guys that was the, um, one of the foremen, had a lot of influence, had a lot of uh, power and authority in the company, and um, he was hard, hard guy mean. He was a mean guy. I was intimidated, not going to lie. I was intimidated. Uh, and we sat on a truck for a two-hour trip one way and two-hour trip the other way. And I remember sitting there and I was thinking, okay, I'm not going to talk at all. Now, that's hard for me, you guys. That's a tough thing. I'm not going to talk. I'm just going to be quiet, sit over here and just ride in the truck. As we're going to our place, he says, he says you know, I have a question for you. He says, you're a, you're a Christian. He says, you, you've read the Bible? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay. He goes, let's talk about the book of Revelation. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, gosh, here we go. You know, start at the hardest book of the whole Bible. Let's start there. You know, and he's like, let's talk about Revelation. Okay. And he started asking questions. And I started just kind of talking to him about what I understood about end times and what I understood about timetables. And he's very into it. He's very open, very open. And I finally said to him, I said, you know, his name was Barry. I said, Barry, I said, 
so many times people get so caught up in this revelation thing and they get so fearful about what's gonna happen in the end times. And I, and I said, you know, Barry, I can tell you today that you can know and you don't have to fear what revelation holds. You don't have to fear the end. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, the fact is, and I just told him, God loves you so much, man, that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. And because Jesus died, he lived a sinless life and he died for you on a cross, even though you didn't know you needed a savior, you needed saved from your sins. I said, Barry, have you ever done anything wrong? He's like, well, you've worked with me, right? I said, yeah, I've worked with you. He said, you know me, yeah? He said, you know my past, you know everything I've done as far as what I've told you. He said, yeah, I, I've done horrible things. I said, listen, God loves you so much. He can save and change your life and he can, he can give you that reassurance. You don't have to fear revelation because you know who you are in Christ and you have a hope of heaven. He's like, and he just goes on, oh, God can never love you. God does love you. He already proved it by the cross. And so we share this back and forth. And I just say, I mean, I understand this. This is a big, I said, Barry, do you want to know Christ? Do you want to know who he is? And he said, I do, but I'm scared. I said, yeah, I'm scared. I'm always scared. I said, but God is there. He loves us. He cares about us. I said, oh, it's a simple prayer. Will you pray with me? He said, yeah. We pray right there in the cab of the truck on our way to do a move. He gets done and he's like, wow, this is, this feels different. I said, every day, God loves you. God cares about you. He's here for you. We kind of sat there for just a little bit and we just kind of, just kind of thinking about what just took place. And I say all this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you why I said, intimidation and fear could have kept me paralyzed, but instead I shared and it wasn't but about a minute later or so, there's this beep that comes in on the truck, CB. He picks it up, he says, yeah. Guy back at dispatch says, hey, uh, Barry, this is uh, Terry. Your microphone has been on the whole time. We've heard everything you guys have said for the last hour. Um, just wanted you to know your mic was on. Now, Barry was probably appalled. I was celebrating on the inside. Because every single trucker, every single mover, every single person heard the reality of God's amazing love. Not about revelation, but about his amazing forgiveness, his amazing love. This is, this, this is the reality of Nehemiah. We never know what God is going to do to set us up to see extraordinary things take place. That day I, hadn't, I thought I was just sharing with this man named Barry the truth of, of who Christ was. But yet God used it in a bigger way. Now, I don't know how or what, but I do know this. A few years later, I got phone calls from guys that were incarcerated from that company, called me up from the, from the, from the uh, jails and the prisons and said, will you come visit me? Now, that is God setting up something for the future. We don't know how he's gonna build our lives, but what we know is when we take a stand and when we build well, he will build us to see the lives change of those around us. This song that we're gonna sing, I just want you to listen to these words. It says, I will build my life. I will build my life not upon me, not upon what I have, but upon Christ because he's a firm foundation. When the world's falling apart and whenever politics don't go the way we think they should and whenever the, 
the idiocy of the things that we read about and we see on social media happen. We do not get shaken because we know who our firm foundation is in. Can someone say amen? It's not in us, it's in Christ. When all the emotions are failing, whenever your friends are collapsing around you under the weight of emotion, you can stand firm knowing that your life is founded in the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. Nehemiah stood in the confidence of knowing that God called him and he was going to build that wall because God told him to. And no matter what men tried to say or do, he was not going to give up because it was a bigger change. And what does it say? By God's help, God built the wall and the other enemies feared what they had done because they knew it was by God. Can we sing that part? Can we just sing that? I will build my life. <clears throat> I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Father God, help us to not be shaken. No matter what the enemies try to do around us. No matter how we feel like we're attacked, or we feel like we're spoken about, or we feel like we're beat down. God, let us never compromise. Let us not come down. Let us not stop the build. Let us not stop moving forward. Let us push on to do the impossible. Father, I pray that you'll do that. With your head bowed and eyes closed here today. Some of you, you feel like you've been attacked. You feel like you're being attacked. You feel like you have been hit. You've been talked about. You've been beat down. Some of you here today, maybe you've had this burning passion inside of you to do something extraordinary for God. And every time you set out to do it, you feel like there's been a roadblock. You feel like there's been a hit. You feel like there's been something to stop you where you're at. If you're here this morning and maybe your marriage is struggling, you feel like you've done everything, you've exhausted yourself and there's just nothing there. Others of you, you're here today and emotionally you're drained. You're beat down. You see injustice around you. You see wrongs take place and you're exhausted. Today I want you to know that God can bring peace and God can bring rest and God can give you a renewed vision for what he's calling you to do. Others of you today, here on Valentine's Day, you may feel lonely. You may feel like you're never gonna have anybody to love you, maybe the way that you deserve to be loved. I'm here to encourage you today, hold on. There's already one who loves you and he loves you greatly. <clears throat> Head bowed and eyes closed here today. You're here today and you're discouraged. You're here today and you feel weary from life. You're here today and maybe you're struggling with your own mental place that you're at. Or maybe you're here today and 
you feel just weary, just so tired. And today, I want to just say a word of prayer for you today. I want to pray that like Nehemiah, you'll take a step back, you'll take a big breath, and you'll kind of breathe and look around, and then you'll just get back and do what God's called you to do. If you're here today and you feel any of those things, I'm going to do something. Would you raise your hands right now across this place? If you feel discouraged, you feel defeated, you feel sad, you feel hurt, you feel like there needs to be a healing in your life, maybe something has done something and really cut in on you, and you just need God to heal you, would you right now just raise your hands all across this place? Just raise them up high. I want to pray with you today. Just raise them up high. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Father God, for every hand that is raised, I pray that, God, you would be their source. Whatever's cut in on them, whatever has discouraged them, whatever has tried to beat them down and distract them, God, right now, let them know. That, God, they're not building their life upon anything other than you. That, Lord, right now, they need to focus their attention upon you and ask you, God, I will build my life on the one who sustains my life. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to get discouraged. No, I'm going to continue to build my life upon you. So God, encourage and inspire them, I pray. Let them know, God, they're not building alone. not built alone because you are the firm, everlasting foundation. You're the one who does the impossible. You've been listening to a ministry of Crossview Church in Keokuk, Iowa with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle. For more information about service times and activities, visit our website, crossviewkeokuk.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.